Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Welcome, everybody, to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, apologize for being a little late this week, but we had some technical difficulties we just couldn't couldn't overcome. For some reason, uh, uh, the software wasn't working uh, back on Tuesday when we should have done this. So um, here we are, better late than never, and thanks for tuning in. Um, we have a wonderful guest with us this time and someone who can hopefully help us maybe understand some of the political predicament we are in uh here in America um it's a it's a it's a tough thing to decide and i he, uh, jim jim belcher is our guest uh he is a political philosopher researcher and writer he is also a pastor and a former president of a christian college so i think he's qualified to talk to us about some of these things and done a lot of study in the political uh realm and uh uh you know i i want to i want to start right out uh well let me tell you the book we're talking about that he is his latest book is uh is called cold civil war um cold being you know we're not fighting we're not shooting at each other at least not yet uh but but it's a but it's but it's a civil uh war and he really in this book talks a lot about how we might be able to overcome this polarization uh, that has happened uh, so much in this country that divided us so completely and even got us involved as Christians, which I'm really concerned about. So we've got a lot to cover. Um, I, I want to actually start right out by asking Jim, um, what what's up with this particular current problem we have right now where we can't the Re- Republican Party can't decide on a speaker because there's a, a, a faction of ultra-right wing people who don't want a speaker who uh, can work with the Democrats. And uh, that's why they got rid of McCarthy. And uh, I'm going, wait a minute, isn't that what a democracy is all about? We have two parties that are supposed to be forced to work together and that that is what is going to keep us uh, uh, a democracy. So, Jim, you want to try and uh, tell us what what happened and what's gotten what's gotten into this predicament? Great. Yeah. Hi, uh, John, it's great to be here. Thanks for, for having me on. Thank We've, you. Uh, you, you and I go way back, so it's kind of fun. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. You know, I. It's complicated. Obviously, politics is complicated. Um, you know, one of the things that that I'm hoping. One of the things I'm hoping we can do is is stay with principle and not partisanship, um, which is what I try to do in the book. Yet we've got to talk about politics, so you have to be partisan. But it's more about kind of the spirit of it and trying to understand what's going on by kind of stepping back and, and maybe taking off our kind of our tribal hats, our partisan hats, you know. And that's hard for Americans because we're, we're so obsessed with presidential politics and the need to get our guy in there that it's very hard to step back and see, you know, what's going on with the system overall. Um, is it possible that there's something that's bigger than the two-party system that's, that's happening here? And I think what I've been able to do is I've studied it really in depth over the last couple of years, and maybe longer than that as a as, you know, 30, 40-year student of political philosophy, is to say, you know, how much of what we see between Democrats and Republicans is really just theater, um, that it's really – it, the, the differences in the parties get brought out every four years when there's an election – and the goal is to just raise the money and get our guy in there um, and so that our constituents can get more of the national treasury. And I, I think we're, what, what that's brought us to is a point of almost insolvency. We're a country that is so mm. far in debt that over the next few years, our debt's going to be our, just the payment on the debt's reaching a trillion dollars, um, which is more than we pay for, for our defense budget. And so what, what we have is we've got a massive crisis, one that's economic, but I also think one that's political, where we've got a, a ruling class that's supposed to go to Washington and help us and, and represent us, and they go and they get rich. Um, and it doesn't take long to look at what Republicans and Democrats, when they go to the Congress, they go to Senate, uh, they go in and they're, they're very modest, they're middle class. Um, they're making, you know, 150 to 200,000 dollars a year, and within five years, they're multimillionaires. And you got to ask yourself, where's that money coming from? Where, where, who's paying them? Where, where, where does it come from? Um, so, the, you know, we've got so much corruption at the heart of our beloved constitutional republic that there are people who think that the regime that's in power, and that's Democrat and Republican controlled, uh, no longer is a republic as our country was founded. And they're fed up with it. And so, you know, you, you, you can call them right wing if you want, um, and people do. Newt Gingrich just said these are traitors. You know, Newt Gingrich, who was a Republican um, Speaker of the House many year, decades yeah. ago, um, said he, they're traitors. Or, or you can say, well, what, what is it they're trying to do? Like, why are they playing the, the, the prophet? Or why are they, why are they sticking their, their, their thumb in the eye of the, the ruling class? I don't know all the reasons. But I know that if something doesn't change, I'm, I'm at least willing to say, what's going on here? Because frankly, uh, when I look at something, when I look at McCarthy's record, um, yeah, he may have compromised, but he got nothing done that Republicans wanted. Nothing. And the hmm. things that we, the Republicans might care about, he's not gotten done. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, there is, there's a tradition of being prophetic. I'd like to see where this ends up, but that's, if, if anything, what these guys, these, these eight to ten are doing is they are trying to almost put a wrench in a moving runaway train that's about ready to go off the cliff. And it's going to go off mm. the cliffs probably no matter what, 
but I think that's what they're trying to do. Ah, wow. So uh, are you saying then that that actually might be a good thing that they're doing? Well, I mean, I think we need to find out what what exactly where what they who comes in there and, and what exactly what eventually happens. Um, yeah. But I do know. So, I mean, this is the mistake that that people. So it's very very hard right now to know what the who or what represents the Republican Party. The Democratic Party is pretty easy. They're pretty unified. They stay unified on most mm-hmm. issues, even when they have people to the far left like a- AOC or Bernie Sanders. They stay pretty unified. You now have a, a very much of like a, a renegade group that calls themselves MAGA, uh, Make American Great Again. Yeah, uh, it's much more populist. And if you want to understand, um, your audience wants to understand what's going on. They really have to understand populism and what it's trying to do. Uh, it does not. These eight do not represent the mainstream Republican Party. And what's interesting about that is when these eight aren't there the Democrats can't stand the rest of the Republican uh, Congress. But as soon as these eight, you know, move out from them, all of a sudden now the Democrats want to be great friends with, with McCarthy and, and all of these guys when they're normally just, you know, terrible enemies of them in the political realm. Uh, and it, it, is, it is kind of funny to watch the, the, the shifting alliances. But what I, what I try and do in the book, is what I, and what I've tried to do for the last few years is, as I said, is to kind of step back and say, why is this country in so much trouble? What yeah. in the world is going on with us economically, culturally, and politically that we're, we're not only divided, but we seem, you know, the very basis of what, what America stood for seems to be crumbling. Um, you know, we were, we were out walking the streets, the beautiful streets of Greenville, and I was sending my boys pictures back to L.A. where they live, and my son was up on a roof cleaning gutters is what he does for his job. His, he's got a, biz, a small business, and he started sending me pictures of what was down below. And when you looked at the piles of trash, the homelessness, the drug addicts just walking around, it's It's sad. But, it, but it's devastating to say what has happened to the social fabric of our country and who has let it happen. He then showed us, he went into Target that afternoon and he showed us a video how almost everything in Target in Pasadena is now behind glass and it's locked up. And he said, Dad, there's no trust here. There's no trust in this city at all amongst anybody, not just in the stores, but when we knock on doors to do business or we're in and out of apartment buildings, People are just scared. And he said, what, how did this happen? What, what in the world is going on? And I want I wanted to ask myself, say, okay, yeah, we're super divided, but at the same time, the social fabric is crumbling. And where's the church? How is the church thinking about it? How is the church being prophetic about it? What is happening to, when you look at the homicide rate that in the last three years that has just spiked in major cities, you look at the crime rates, in the major cities. You look at the homelessness. California, I'm not there anymore, but California has 50% of the nation's homelessness is in California. Well, how does that happen? What, what is going on? And at the very heart of, it, of this struggle that we're at is the question of, well, what, what does America represent now? Who are we? And it doesn't seem like there's any consensus anymore about what the country is supposed to be. Um, and you've got two sides of it. Uh, uh, you have, well, you know, maybe more than that, two sides. Maybe there's multiple sides 
kind of fighting it out about what the meaning of America is. And if we can't, if we don't get back to a sense of national unity uh, in what we, who we are, I think we're, we're in trouble. And, it, you know, some, some say it's already too late, but I'm not giving up hope. Yeah. Wow. Uh, where do we begin? I know I'm interested about something that you talked about in your book. Uh, you brought in something beyond just the polarization uh, uh, that was happening between the two political parties. But what you what you brought out was that really there is a ruling elite that that is actually playing these two sides against each other and uh, uh, representing, in a sense, people on both sides. Well, now, talk about that. And, and, and who is that? Uh, we, we, I've heard talk about ruling, uh, the, the, you know, the ruling elite, but they, they always seem like they're invisible people behind the scenes, pulling the puppet strings. Well, who are these people? Is this really happening? And do they all talk together? Do they decide what they're going to do? What, or is this just more the way the system's set up that it just happens this way? Uh, talk about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, and I do, I do talk about that, you know, that, mm-hmm. the, yeah, there are real differences and the polarization is real and those are issues that need to be worked out. But but so often then the polarization is stoked and the divisions are stoked between the different sides and the different groups. Um, and it can change every day. I mean, I think the key is division. The key is lack, they want lack of uh, trust and social harmony because the more they can destabilize, the more power they can take. Right. So you look at you look at something like just the pandemic and the shutdown where we lost just tens of thousands of small businesses go out of business. Well, in the midst of that, you know, all these people lose, lose their livelihoods and families that depended on this and the middle-class families. Uh, and, but who got stronger during that time? And as I show in the book, it's, it's the oligarchs, the, the, the very, very wealthy made tons of money during that time. And they, the rich seem to get richer. And it always seems like no matter what crisis we have, the wealthiest of the wealthy seem to get stronger and more powerful. You know, it's hard to know. It, you know, it's, it would be so, so much easier if we knew who was pulling the strings because it does seem like there's a lot of coordination. But I, I think at, on, on some level, it's just the, the, it, it's the power brokers that have all the money, uh, and it's the people that, that, have all the, that want more and more control. So the way I describe it in the book, it, I call them the oligarchs, the ruling elite, and, it, you know, it's made up of the wealthiest on Wall Street. It's made up of the, the military-industrial complex. It's made up of big pharma. Uh, it's, big, it's big government involved in that. Um, and most of, the, most of where they're getting their power from is they're all attached to our national treasury. So when you look at a speech last night, for instance, so we're already trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. Uh, we're... we're our deficit every year is, is so big, we're never, ever going to pay back the principal. If we were a company, we would be insolvent. We would be bankrupt. And we have a president, and look, it, it could have been Trump in there, promising billions of dollars to things that we don't have the money to promise, to give. You know, mm-hmm. Over $100 billion to Ukraine. You know, six, you know, I mean, it was just billions of dollars. No, it was like 10, what was it, 10, 14 billion to, to, to Ukraine. 
I've lost track of all the numbers, 60 billion supplemental. Well, where's that money coming from? We don't have that money. It's not coming from taxes. Um, and if it's not coming from taxes, where is it coming from? Well, it's coming from the money printers. It, it's, just, it's just being created out of thin air. And then this money gets spread around. Well, who, who makes most of the money when that money goes over to Ukraine? Well, it's the military industrial complex. It, it's all the big military companies. It's the mm-hmm. banks getting rich off of this. You know, it's all the, it's all the NGOs that are involved in these, in these different things. Um, and they're, they, they're the ones that get rich. In one sense, all of these, the ruling elite, they're looting our treasury as we go further and further into debt. Well, who's paying for it? Well, ultimately, Americans do because the debt will come back to us. But the way it's getting taken from us right now is in inflation. So our money every year is worth less and less. So if you, you have money in the bank, the next year it's, our, it's gone down 10, 15, 20% in its buying power. Well, where did, that, where did that money go? Well, it's going because of all of this debt. It's going to pay off of this debt. Um, and it's being robbed from the middle class. So the middle class continues to get poorer. The, the ruling elite are getting richer and rich, richer and richer and more powerful. Um, and it's a, what I say in the book is it's a uniparty. It's, this isn't just re- Democrats or Republicans. It's both. Um, they're both doing it. And none of them seem to have a stomach to make any changes. Wow. Wow. So, um, you know, where, where do we begin? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's extremely, it's extremely discouraging to think that we're never ever going to probably be able to pay off the national deficit uh, because of how far, how far we're going. So the question is, you know, what, what is it going to take to turn it around and get power back to the people uh, get it back to representative government, get it back to our, to our constitution and, and what I say in, in the book is it's ultimately going to take a religious revival um, where, where Christianity begins to play a, a, a much larger role in reshaping the, what Alexis de Tocqueville calls the mores, the ethos, the, the character of our people. Um, and so we're not all on the take. We're not all just trying to, to make money um, at the expense of, of, the, of the common good. Uh, but, but yeah, I will admit it's, 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 it's pretty discouraging, um, Mm -hmm. for, for just the average person who's trying to educate their kids and raise a family and, and, and survive financially. So if, if, uh, Christians or Christianity is going to help solve the problem, uh, it's, it seems like you're saying it will it will happen through individuals through the way uh following christ uh reflects itself in in the character of people and in the quality of people and their values and what they choose not necessarily in Christians all becoming political uh, and pushing our way on things, but more in the way people change inside, the way they become. Uh, and and right. it, it, am I right about that? Yeah, I, that, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, obviously I'd love some of the, the, the key political figures to read my book, but I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I wrote it for pastors. I wrote it 
for yeah. Christians in the pew to understand what's going on um, so that they're, they're wise and, and they can make good decisions. But, but ultimately it's about acting locally. Uh, you know, they, it's, it's, it's about doing the right thing on, on every, in, in every day and being aware of, of what's happening around them. I mean, I, when I talk to my pastors uh, at the church that, that I'm part of, I always say, well, you know, does discipleship include more than just our prayer time and our scripture study, um, as important as those are, or, or our community group, our small group Bible study? Doesn't discipleship mean that a doctor should have his understanding of medicine and how he treats his patient and how he makes decisions holistically for the patient? Shouldn't that be shaped by Christianity? Shouldn't businessmen um, who are doing business be shaped by their, their faith, right? Shouldn't parents and how we raise our kids, raise our kids distinctly different than the world around? When we look at sexuality and gender, shouldn't that look different? You know, it's on and on and on. Those are all decisions made, you know, at the personal level, the family level, the small platoon level, as Edmund Burke once said. Uh, and those those are all shaped by political philosophy or, or an understanding of citizenship as well. And some of it is, is just being aware. Like part of it is, you know, as we go about our day, uh, is, is being aware about how our ruling elites want to, to manipulate us and, and propagandize us and get us to do a certain thing instead of being aware of that and, and saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Uh, now, uh, let me let me jump into a really controversial topic. You know that I you know may turn everybody off in your audience. I don't know, but um, I think it's it's pretty safe to say that that you know even the even Fauci and the CDC and others have said that they they probably jumped to the use of using ventilators too quickly during COVID, um, and that you know that when ninety to ninety five percent of people who were put on ventilators ended up dying that that probably wasn't the way to go during COVID. Um, and look, I'm speaking of someone who, who's, who, who lost a mom uh, eventually through, through this whole process. So but that's another story. But um, so, you know, I, I, so a friend of mine, uh, ordained gentleman, uh, pastor, was talking to someone in the church who's high up in, in the medical industry here in Greenville, and, and, he, and he asked him, he said, well, you know, tell me, I've heard rumors that you guys were paid extra if you put someone on a ventilator. And the doctor said, that's true. Yeah, we did. We made more money for every person who was on the ventilator. And wow. he said, did you push back? Did you challenge that? Were you like, wait a sec, this is a, this is a perverse incentive to put someone onto a ventilator because the hospital is going to make a lot of money. I never heard the answer. I don't think the doctor wanted to answer that, but my my friend uh, said to him, he said, I, you know, I don't get it. Was 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 the whole thing, you know, was the whole thing set up like what what was going on? And so, you know, my my feeling point is that, you know, I don't want to get into, uh, yeah. I mean, unless you want to, that, you know, what was going on behind all that. But his Christianity should have informed what he was thinking about medical ethics. And he should have been saying, wait a sec, why are they paying hospitals to put people on ventilators? And is this going to influence, influence us in a wrong way that's going to end up with this patient dying? Um, and that, that's really what, what a political philosophy does, is it teaches us what citizenship is. It teaches us how to be virtuous citizens. It teaches us how to 
when we're doing making business decisions to do things that are very ethical. Wow. And, and John, wow. you're right. I mean, that's what's going to turn the country around. It's it's a revival. Uh, you know, you look at all the great the great revivals in our country, and they led to tremendous social change, where the mm-hmm. church started leading, and the church started being at the forefront of social change. And we just don't see that the church, whether they're on the left or the right politically, tends to just follow and assimilate. And, and go along with everything, and very, very seldom pushes back and says, hey, wait a second here. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, present yourselves as, to, you know, because of the mercies of God, present yourselves as living sacrifices. And it says, do not be pushed into the mold of the world. Well, right. what, what Paul is saying there is the world is actively trying to push you into its mold. It's trying to mold you in a certain way. And if Christians are not taught to be aware of what's happening they will get pushed into that mold and get molded and they won't look they'll lose their salt and they won't have their light you know they won't be salty anymore and 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 then it says paul says by the renewing of your mind so what does the renewal of mind look like if you're a doctor what does it look like if you're a businessman or a teacher or a plumber or like whatever you know whatever whatever it is that's what discipleship is, and, and part of it's a negative process. It's like, wait, the world is actively trying to socialize me away from God in every aspect of my life and my vocation, and I need to be on guard. I need to be aware of this, and I don't want to trust any of the ruling elites who have control of big media and have control of the, the pharmaceutical company and the advertisements. or you know, They're controlling the narrative, and we need to say, well, wait a sec. Uh, isn't it possible that that is it possible that narrative could be wrong, um, you know, and and it, and at least question it um, so that we don't we don't get shoved into the the mold. And I would say when we look back over the last fifty years, the church has been pushed into that mold and doesn't look a whole lot different than the world. I mean, that's what right. the studies show, right? That's what George Barna has shown is that there really is no difference in our discipleship process. And I would say because we've lost that, we've lost the Christian mind, and we've lost the ability to think uh, holistically about about these things. Well, and that that's true on uh, on, on both political sides, right? Uh, isn't it? We're oh, absolutely. Into- yeah, I don't. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right. I mean, I'm I'm a you know politically, I'm an independent. Um, I I've lost faith in the Republican Party years ago. Um, that, that to me, the, the vast majority of the Republican Party, except on a couple issues that I might still agree with, are, 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 are part of the uniparty. And they go along with more debt, more deficit. They go along with funding, you know, all the big, the big companies and the, the big pharma and the big military, uh, big media. Yeah, they're, they're bought off. Um, and, and I, you know, go back to what I said at the beginning. I mean, that's why they all go, to, they all go with maybe, maybe good intentions but they end up getting bought, bought off and compromised because money is, is very powerful and very tempting. Wow. Sad to, so how very, do we, very sad to say. Yeah, yeah. But I guess in a way, it's also exciting to say that we can, we can make a difference through real discipleship following Jesus, which is, which is, which is not going to, 
going to follow any party. Uh, it's going to follow something else. And and how do we grow in that area that we're we're running out of time, but I know we can't solve all this, but but get us in the right direction. How do we grow in the way of understanding um, how to truly follow Christ in in the midst of this? Because, you know, it, it it's attempting because you look over here on one side and a lot of it in name calls itself Christian, and yet it's also being pushed into the mold. So how do we differentiate uh, truly following Christ today? Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, it's, it's, it's what this, it, it's really regaining a sense of what discipleship is. That's not yeah. only narrowly spiritual. You know, we, we've talked for years and you'll know this language that it, there's, it, there's no dual sacred secular divide, um, you know, that our vocations are, are sacred and they, the, the, the mind of Christ has to be applied to them and we have to do really hard thinking about it. Some of it is recovering the understanding that God speaks to us not only through revelation in his Bible, but he speaks to us in general revelation through, through the natural processes uh, and that we can learn a lot by the history of political thought. And we can learn a lot uh, by what, what wise people have said in the past. And we can begin to understand. And that's what I try and do in the book is say, look at these great resources about what constitutional republicanism is. Look how from the very beginning, we've, the church always seems to side with the oligarchs. I don't know why. Um, and, and, and yet we, we've got to figure out how to not side with the oligarchs, um, even if that means persecution because we've got to be able to stand with the rich resources of constitutional republicanism um, and, 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 and do the courageous thing. But in order to do that, we've got to do the, the, the heavy lifting. And I think Christians don't want to do a lot of thinking. Um, it's so much easier just to kind of follow what, what our, our tribe says. I know we're busy. I get it. But I think we're, we're called to do the deep thinking and the deep dive and to understand what's going on and to work this out. And uh, I, I've tried to provide a shortcut for people and say, hey, look, you know, start here. Um, but no matter what, the, your listeners are going to have to do a lot of the heavy thinking and the, and the hard thinking on their own. But that's what's exciting. I mean, to me, yeah. discipleship is incredibly exciting when you realize that Christianity impacts what you put in your body for food. It impacts your exercise and how you deal with colleagues at work and your leadership, and the raising your family, and your worship on Sunday, and your recreation. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, that's where the joy of Christianity comes from, um, and not secluding or sequestering our Christianity to just Sunday or a Bible study in the morning, but realizing it should be impacting everything that we do um, and, and asking and praying for personal revival in our own lives. Mm. Oh, this is great. This is great. Well, Jim... Uh, we just, I guess, touched on the surface, but we got to something that I think is exciting for all of us is to truly learn what discipleship is uh, on a daily, moment-by-moment uh, -moment basis. So, uh, gosh, thank, thank you so much for um, helping us think through a little bit of this. And uh, I guess, I guess 
the part of that conclusion is that we got to have you back and keep talking about this. <laughs> yeah, be be happy to, John. My pleasure. Um, thanks so well, much. Thank you very much for being with us. I I I appreciate it. Well, there we go, folks. How about that? You're listening to the Cat Shank much more deeply than we are. And uh, be sure we're aligned with Christ, not just something that calls itself Christian, and but someone else is doing the thinking. Okay. God bless you both. Keep on. And join us again on Tuesday for another Block Talk Radio. God bless you all. <laughs>